We come now to Acts chapter 4 and to the excitement of this passage where we have apostles itching to preach and they're told to be quiet. What can they do? Let's unite in prayer a moment. We'll ask the Lord to guide us. Father, we thank thee for the light of your word here in chapter 4 in Acts And we pray, dear Lord, that you will write these things upon our hearts this evening and that you will teach us how to pray. Give us the spirit of prayer and breathe upon us by the Holy Spirit. I take the promised power of God, the Holy Spirit, to fill me and enable me to speak thy word this hour and that your will be done in all that we say tonight. In the Savior's precious name, amen, amen. Preachers should never assume anything when they preach, but I'm going to assume that you know this account very well and that you know the background of the Sadducees, that they were always sad because they did not believe in the resurrection. And so when these men came preaching the resurrection, they were mightily upset. Now, what got these uh, religious leaders stirred up was the healing of the man at the gate of the temple. The man who for 40 years had been lame from his birth. And when he was healed, it was a marvel and it caused great excitement at the temple. And of course, there was no denying the performance of the miracle that was done. And this gave Uh, Peter and John, uh, really a pulpit and uh, an attraction of the people to hear and listen to the message. Now, when they were challenged about this, you'll notice in chapter 4, verse 7, they were asked, by what power or by what name have ye done this? And that, of course, referred to the healing of the lame man, And this miracle created a tremendous buzz uh, within the circles of the temple. And just like when the Lord Jesus preached and miracles were performed, it drew a crowd and people listened. Now when Peter, who was filled with the Holy Spirit, when he went on to explain uh, that he preached in the name of Jesus Christ, who had been crucified and who rose again from the dead, well, that's the part that they couldn't accept. They couldn't deny the miracle. They couldn't deny that there was the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus, but they would go on to deny that the Lord Jesus was alive and risen from the dead. And so these Pharisees and these Sadducees, they resorted to threats, And in verse 17, uh, you will read, but that it spread no further among the people. Let us straightly threaten them. Well, if you can't win the argument, you've got to threaten. You've got to resort to some way of putting fear and getting these men to move on. But being released, these believers, Peter and, and John, these apostles, what do they do? They went right back to where they found these other Christians. They went to their own place. And there 
They reported what had happened. And what did the people do? They went to prayer. They took the matter to the Lord in prayer. And the test of any people is what they do when they're in trouble. The test of you and me tonight is what we do when we've hit a brick wall, when we have a a problem that we can't solve, or a way ahead that we can't see. What do we do? Well, here in this early church, we see that these Christians, they took it to the Lord. Now, the first thing I want you to notice with me in this prayer meeting that they immediately uh, convened, that they were the people of prayer. Look at verse 23. And being let go, they went to their own company. Now, this is a very telling statement. And it's usually true of human nature. People go to their own company. The drunkard will go back to the pub. The person in the casino will go back to gambling. The person who has lived a life in a certain way will go back to it. But the Christian, he will seek out the people of God. And in distress, as people seek their own kind... You'll see here that these believers went uh, to the people of prayer. Now, Peter and John went to the company of Christians. Who else would understand their problem? Who else would care? Who else would seek to find a way forward? And of course, this was the church, the place of faithful support, the place of prayer, the place where they would find strength and reassurance. And every Christian needs that support. You go to your own place. And the church tonight is the place for the child of God. It's the place we want to be. It's the fellowship that we enjoy. And we can come and spread and pray for one another's burdens. And so persecution in the early church drove God's people together, and it drove them to prayer. Look at verse 24, and you will see how they were a praying people. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. This was the automatic and the united response of these people. They took their burden and their concerns to the Lord. This was their practice. They didn't have to be told. They didn't have to be advised and lectured. It was what they immediately responded to do. Now, it was for this reason that others took note of these early Christians that they had been with Jesus. Joseph Parker, an English preacher, said, You can tell whether a man has been keeping up his life of prayer. His witness is in his face. The face grows in vulgarity which does not commune with God day by day. It loses beauty. The show of their countenance doth witness against them. Sin leaves faces drawn and hard. A life of prayer changes the countenance. You can tell 
that a person lives in the presence of God. And he went on to say, there is an invisible sculptor who chisels the face into the upper attitude of the soul. And that is genuine. That is reality. And it's what happens with Christians. And these early believers had the testimony that they had been with Jesus. B-W-J. Been with Jesus. They didn't go to any school of prayer apart from the school of real Christianity. And you and I will learn to pray in the school of the church where God's people gather to pray. There's no other way of learning. There is the art of praying. There is the power of prayer that you can never learn from a book. You can never learn from listening to some message from another church as an observer. You have to get down on your knees with the people of God. Get down into the warfare of prayer, the battle of faith. And as we sang earlier, prayer keeps the armor of the Christian bright. But you've got to be there You've got to enter into the spirit of praying and cry out to God. And so these early Christians, they weren't just card-carrying, praying people. They were uh, full of the spirit and they were full of prayer. And they knew the blessedness of it. And they knew it was the right thing to do. Now, that leads us to an examination of the manner of their praying. And if you look at verse 24, uh, you will get the exact prayer that they prayed. Verse 24 on down to verse 30. And I don't know if you mark your Bible. You might like to do that. Some people don't. Some people put little sticky notes and all other kinds to prevent marking. But you will notice that the middle of verse 24 where it says Lord and right down to verse 30 all of this is the exact prayer summed up in Luke the author of the book of Acts and he gives us that prayer and so we are able tonight to enter into the prayer room with these Christians and learn how to pray. Now in verse 24, you will see that it was united praying. They prayed with one accord. Now that's not a Honda accord. It's a holy accord. It is a true unity in the hearts of the people. They've got one burden. They say, well, this, this can't be stopped. We can't allow the gospel to be hindered. We must get these preachers back out there preaching this word and have God's power to do it. And so they were united in their asking. And among this people, there were no divisions. This was the mark of the early church. They were united in their burden and in their praying. Now, division is often a problem within the church when it comes to the prayer meeting. 
and it hinders the Lord answering prayer. We are advised in many parts of the Bible that there must be reconciliation and unity before we get down to pray one with another. You have in Matthew 5 where the Lord Jesus uh, talked about if I bring thy gift to the altar and rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, go thy way, first be reconciled to thy brother, and then offer the gift. And so you can see the importance of this, uh, that the reconciliation is to be first and given priority. And then when that's cleared away and there's nothing between you and your brother and the Lord, you can get on with praying. Now Peter advised of the same thing of uh, differences hindering the prayers between husbands and wives. Lest your prayers be hindered, he warned. And so as we unite to pray and ask for the same thing of God, there ought to be that sweet reconciliation uh, between family members. Now, if you turn to one more passage with me, Ephesians 4 and verse 3, and I'm just emphasizing how important this is. Ephesians 4 and verse 3, we have here even, uh, sorry, Galatians, Ephesians 4 and verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, endeavoring means you have to work at it. Endeavoring means it doesn't come automatically. It's something that we ought not to expect that it will just happen. We've got to put our effort into it. And you'll see the recipe for this unity that we deal with each other with lowliness, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another. And so we need to be very careful in our attitudes, in our words, our expressions. And sometimes we need to go the second mile and even say to someone, is it possible I've offended you? Is it possible that you've got something that's annoying you. I don't want anything to spoil the fellowship. And it's better to be preemptive than trying to let it fester. Uh, Dr. McClelland has a, a classic example on this. And he talks about when people have a run-in with each other and offense is caused, that it's like the, the chip on the cup. It can be glued, but it's always chipped. And there's always the risk of that. And so rather than letting a fracture develop and division develop, go to your brother. Be reconciled. Ensure there's nothing between. And then you can pray together with gusto and with boldness, and the Lord will hear your cry. Now, going on down this chapter in the book of Acts, chapter 4 here, uh, we see in verse um, 24 that it was Christ-exalting prayer. 
And they said, Lord, thou art God. Oh, they had no hesitation in giving full deity and godhood to the Lord Jesus. Lord is the Greek word kurios, God, theos, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. And so they addressed the Lord Jesus as the creator. Oh, they exalted him to the highest maker of heaven and earth and sea and all things that were in. These were not pantheists believing that the Lord was in the creation, creation was in him. No, they put the Lord above the creator. And of course, we're the creature. And when you take that posture and that position, then you are exalting the Lord above men and above all the authority of men. And that's how they referred to the Lord Jesus. And in our praying, we ought to find ways to exalt the Lord. Find terms and cliches and phrases that we will magnify the name of the Lord Jesus in our prayers. That is required as we address the Lord. In verses 25 on, you will see that this was scriptural praying. Who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? Now those words are lifted exactly out of Psalm 2. And here they let hold upon a particular portion of Scripture. They brought it into their praying and they prayed it back to God. Let me tell you, that's praying. That's praying that God will never deny because you're taking his own word and you're, you're quoting him, and you're saying, Now, Lord, you have said in your word, you have promised that this is real, and I'm bringing this to thee, Lord, and I'm praying on this promise, this word, on these terms. And that enables us to pray biblically and to pray with boldness in the Lord's presence. Now, I'm sure there are many debates on this Psalm too. I think it's very clear that it's a messianic psalm. It refers to the Lord Jesus, and it talks about the heathen raging, uh, the nations, and so on. And in that psalm, you have the promise that God gave the nations to Christ as the Messiah. So there are many parts to that psalm, many aspects of it, and I'm not sure if they tore it all down and brought every little aspect, but they they brought that great messianic statement back to the Lord and said, Lord, you're the God of the nations. Why are these men raging? Why are we inhibited by these wicked men? And they pleaded all that authority and power of the Lord. Now in verse 29, go down to uh, verse 29, and you'll see that it was evangelistic praying. Now what could I possibly mean by that? And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Now you'll see that there was no compromise. There was no going back to plan B. It was 
prayer for preaching. And I will call that evangelistic praying. We're praying for the preaching of the gospel to the lost, to sinners all around. And this is where praying is put to work. And it's not just devotion. Now, there is obviously an, a necessary part of our praying that ought to be devotional. And we already have seen that in lifting up and exalting the name of Jesus, giving him his position and his titles and ascribing honor to him. All of that's devotional. But then there comes this evangelistic praying. It is a praying for the preaching of the word. And it's not just pleading for power. It's pleading for power to the word. God uses his word. We learned that in our Sunday school hour this morning. That, as the confession puts it, that normally it is God's way to use the preaching of the word. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Therefore, we must pray on that basis. And we must cry to God that that word is used in grace to turn the hearts of men. Then in verse 32, you will see that it is prayer for souls. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Now, that's the result, of course. But that tells us how they were praying. They were praying for souls. We should never be ashamed as a church to be praying for souls. Those we fear are lost. Those that make no profession of faith in Christ. I have people come to our church and we pray for them by name on a Wednesday evening because of this. Because number one, I don't hear them praying. And they have never told me that they have come to faith and trusted in the Lord Jesus. Now, I'm not the complete judge of men's hearts. I don't know if on that eternal day, if they will be saved. But I have warned them many times that if I were to conduct their funeral, and I was to stand at their graveside, I could not have confidence that for them it is to be absent from the body, present with the Lord. Now, if I have not that confidence, then I must pray for their souls. And we pray for them by name. We pray for them regularly and continually. And in this early church, we see that pattern at work. Now, you'll also notice in verse 30, we'll just go back a little bit, that they prayed for miracles. By stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. Now this was the early church. And there were such miracles. The man who had been 40 years old healed from his lameness. Uh, that was a mighty miracle. And it brought great uh, expectation concerning the gospel that these men preached. And they were praying for more of that. And in the early church... That's how they worked. That's how they prayed. 
but it did not continue on through the New Testament. You do not find this in Romans. You do not find this right through the various letter epistles. Uh, Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James. You do not find that they were praying for miracles as Peter and James performed. The reality is that these miracles were specific to the time. We are cessationists. We believe that these miracles came to a stop, that there was a time when they ended. And certainly by the time that the apostles had died and when the New Testament was completed, there was no longer the continuation of such signs and wonders. But they are the foundation of our faith. We do not deny that in the early church there were such signs and wonders performed and they became part of the power of the ministry. Now we still believe that our God does miracles. The miracles of salvation. The miracles of a new heart. The miracles of dead souls brought to life. These are miracles that we do pray for. And we plead with the Lord that he will work that in the hearts of men. And when we pray for souls, we pray earnestly and anxiously, even as the Apostle Paul ministered with tears in his heart. Now let's move to the immediate answer to prayer. Look at verse 31. You'll see that the prayer room shook. Now this has to be literal. There's no other way to think of it. It says, and when they prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. Now, there's no way to look at that as a euphemism. There's no way to look at that as some kind of embellishment or that is metaphoric. The place shook. There must have been something like a mini earthquake that shook the very building. God gave a signal answer to their praying. And here's something for us to remember. We as Christians must pray through. We must pray till we have the assurance that the answer is going to be given. And that is the boldness in our praying. Then also you'll notice in verse 31 that the Holy Spirit filled each believer. Everyone in that prayer assembly, was filled with the Holy Ghost. Here is the evidence of God answering. And the cause of the power to minister the word without the fear of man was directly due to the power of prayer. And in every church this is true. There is going to be a correlation between the, 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 the vibrancy the zeal of the spirit of prayer among the congregation and the end result in the preaching and the outreach of that church. That's why we keep insisting that the prayer room is the power room of the church. It's the place where God needs to come down and God's people need to get the victory. Now, I don't know in this congregation who is regular in prayer. But I would ask you to turn heaven and earth 
to get to the prayer meetings of this church every time possible. I would plead with you tonight that if you love the Lord's church, if you love his word, if you desire to see the church made useful in God's kingdom, that you be a prayer warrior in the life of the congregation in real physical presence and in the spirit of prayer. I do not doubt that God's people pray alone in the family, in the home. These are good things. But God calls his people to corporate prayer also. And we trust that God will give us a race of men and women who will be found in the prayer room. Now these were not new men, but they were the same men with new power. That's what we're looking for. That's what we need in the church of the Lord Jesus. Now, in verse 34, right down this chapter, you'll see that there was a most generous supply of every need in the church. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold. The fruit of that prayer time was multiplied over and over and things were accomplished and God's work was provided for. Now I think that this is the most encouraging chapter in the book of Acts. It is the chapter that begins with curtailment. It continues with God's people resorting to prayer and it gives us the amazing result and it ought to mightily encourage our hearts and I wonder can we adopt this model bring everything to the Lord in prayer casting your care upon the Lord for he careth for us be careful for nothing but in all things by prayer and supplication Make your requests made known unto God. And bring them to the Lord. And see the Lord answer in amazing ways. Now if we do not adopt this model, what are we going to do? Then we have to close the prayer meeting. There's really no point in having a prayer meeting if we do not adopt this model of Acts 4. We're just playing church. We're just putting on a facade of Christianity. No, this must be the real business of the church of the Lord Jesus. And I trust tonight that you will take this to heart very seriously and that you will make it your priority in the life of the church. Many cannot preach. Many cannot go to the mission field. But all can be part of the prayer burden of the congregation. Now you might say, well, I can't be fluent in prayer. I assure you that when I was a new Christian, I wasn't fluent either. I remember my first attempts at praying in the church prayer meeting. And it is nothing to be proud of. On the other hand, it was the fire of my heart wanting to pray. 
And that's what I would long for you. That you would have the burden of prayer upon you. And this desire of the Lord to come with all your heart and plead for his grace and his favor. And we will have that testimony that we have been with Jesus. We will prove God and we will put God to the test. And so tonight I I leave with you this chapter, Acts chapter 4. I have not sought to add anything to it. I have not sought to try and put some modern mindset to it. But we just go back to New Testament principles. And the priority of the church in need is the prayer room. Let that be our model. And surely God in his grace will show his power and his blessing upon the work of the gospel. Gracious, gracious Lord, we thank thee that you have given us these means to equip us, that you do not leave us alone in the earth to serve thee. You have not called us to serve thee in our own power, but Lord, you have given us the ministry of your Spirit and the means of prayer to ask. O Lord, bless your people here. Answer their prayers in a mighty way. The cry of their hearts for the work of the gospel, for souls, for homes, for family circles to be united in Christ, for those loved ones who are wayward and prodigal. O God, give your people many answers to prayer in this congregation. Rise up, Lord. Come in your power and command the blessing that it may be so. And we will be careful, Lord, to give unto thee all the praise. And so minister to us as we depart tonight. Be with us through the week to come. Those who travel, those who work, those who uh, are at school, we pray for the watch care of our Heavenly Father over each one of thy children. And be with us till we meet again. May the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon each believer now and evermore. Amen.